morning. Welcome to Sovereign Grace Church Paramount. My name is Richard. I'm the pastoral intern of this church, and I have the joyful privilege of preaching today from our text, which comes from Psalm 114. I'm going to go straight into it today. Psalm 114, if you have your Bibles, if you can open that up. If you don't have a Bible, you can put your hand up. We could give you a Bible. Arby, our brother at the back, will give you a Bible. That's our gift to you. You can take it home if you do not have one. Otherwise, it's going to be behind on the projector. Last time I preached, I was preaching on a psalm that had close to 30, 40 verses. Today, it's just eight verses, which is wonderful. So Psalm 114. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a spring of water. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your powerful, wonderful words. I pray that your words would bring rejoicing in our souls this morning. I pray that your words would be living and active this morning. I pray your words would not return empty this morning. By the help of the Holy Spirit, O Lord, may your words penetrate deeply in the hearts of your people, and may we honor and praise and glorify you, O God. May you become big, me small. I pray, O Lord, your name. Amen. Amen. A song that is often sung and played on our smart devices and by our kids regularly for the past couple of months is a song perhaps you're all familiar with. It's called Love Story by Taylor Swift. Uh, not because, I just want to clarify, not because it's my favorite, maybe Rebs's, I don't know, but definitely our two daughters, Eleanor and Nora, they love that song, Love Story by Taylor Swift. So much, I've heard it so much that I think I know most of the words to that song. You know, that you were Romeo and you were throwing pebbles. And my daddy said, stay away from Juliet. Wow. See, it's not just our place. A lot of people really love that song. And you know, songs, they have a powerful power. It helps us in memorization. And also songs, they speak to us in a way when we just try and read it and memorize, sometimes doesn't do the same. The reason why I start off with this is because Psalm 114 is a psalm well known by the people of Israel. It was well known because during the celebration of the Passover, Passover meal, the people of Israel will sing six praise songs, starting from Psalm 113, then they'll sing today's psalm, Psalm 114, they'll have their Passover meal, and then they'll sing the remainder, Psalm 115 to Psalm 118. 
These collections of these six psalms is what they call the Egyptian Hallel. Egyptian Hallel. Egyptian because it's a reminder of the time when God redeemed his people out of the captive of Egypt. And Hallel in Hebrew means praise, like Hallelujah, right? Hallel. That's where it comes from. These six psalms are the Egyptian Hallel. And the reason why this psalm is sung over again and over again from generation to generation is because it's to remind the people of Israel of who, of who it was that brought them out of Egypt. The psalm is reminding a generation that weren't there during the ten plagues. It's reminding a generation that weren't there when the Red Sea parted into two. It's reminding a generation that weren't there when the Jordan River was pushed back. It's reminding a generation that weren't there when God came down in lightning and thunder at Mount Sinai. It's reminding a generation that weren't there when God produced food, manna from the skies, and water from the rock. It's to remind that generation who weren't there And it's also to remind us, this generation, who weren't there, of who was responsible for all of these redeeming, wonderful acts. Friends, we've just started 2024. We're 21 days in, 21 days. And I wonder if there are certain unknowns of the future that are causing you anxiety, Certain things in the future that are causing you a fear in your life. The fear could potentially be perhaps going to pastor's college in the next few months. The unknown of what that looks like. Perhaps it's the anxiety and fear that you have of your current employment status. Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Perhaps it's the future of my health. Am I going to make it through this year? Maybe it's the anxiety of your parents' health. Maybe your children's health. Maybe for some of us, it's, will I even have children this year? Maybe some of your kids are going to kindergarten or high school for the first time. Will they make good friends? Perhaps it's your last year of university or you're in your studies right now and you wonder, have I chosen the right career path? Is this what I really want to be doing? What should I work on? Will I have a job? Am I financially going to make it? Perhaps for some, it's my relationship status. What's that going to look like this year? The beginning of every year, it causes us to think of these things as we look forward to the year. But as a result of it, at times, it draws anxiety. It draws a fear in our hearts about the future. So my question to all of us here today is, how do we face those anxieties that lie ahead? How do we face the fear of the unknown? Well, I think Psalm 114 gives us direction in how. And this is the main point of my sermon. This is how I think Psalm 114 addresses it. Because you see, the people of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, there was a lot of unknowns, a lot of unknowns. How did they face it? Psalm 114 tells us, tremble, O earth, in the presence of the Lord. Tremble. That means it's to 
fear God. Fear God. We need to be a congregation that fears God. And as I unpack this psalm, I want to say three things about the fear of God. Three things. First thing is this, having the wrong fear of God and what that looks like. Number two, why we can have the right fear of God. And number three, living out the right fear of God. Those are the three things I want to speak about this morning. Now, here's a quick caveat, quick caveat. I have read through a lot of texts on the fear of God. Uh, I've listened to numerous sermons on the fear of God, a lot of articles. I've taken out bits and pieces of different books about the fear of God. And let me tell you this, the fear of God is a huge topic, right? It's massive. Today, I'm just touching on a small element of what the fear of God is. is. It is by no means exhaustive, but Psalm 114 does teach us something about the fear of God that I want to share with you today. And so my hope, my hope is that with the little I say, you'll be at least a little more equipped than what you were before and what it means to fear God. By the help of the Holy Spirit, you would experience the joy the joy in fearing God in your Christian living. So on that note, let's jump to point one, having the wrong fear of God. You see, the topic of fearing God isn't a topic that is discussed often, right? Even when we read it in the Bible so many times, you see it in the text, fear of God. We must tremble before him, fear him. But we don't really talk about it. Even in, the last, even in last week's sermon text on Psalm 25, we saw the psalmist speak of who is the man that fears the Lord? But as much as we see it in the Bible, we read it, but we don't unpack it as much. Why is it that we don't talk about the fear of God? Well, I think it's because the word fear has a negative connotation attached to it. Because we just don't like fear, right? Fear, when we think about fear, I'm scared. When I think about fear, I'm afraid. When I think about fear, I just want to be away from whatever that is that is fearing me, right? right? Exhibit A, my brother Joel Sarich. I do have permission to share this uh, from him. Last year when we went to pastor's conference, we had a short time where a group of us uh, went and played putt-putt. Um, and in one of the holes, it was this dark cave-like hole. It was pretty dark in there. And we had gone in. By the way, uh, the idea to do this was Riley's idea, not mine. Um, and so we finished our hole in this dark cave. And we thought, you know what? Why don't we hide in that little dark area? And you see, the next group that was coming was Joel and his group. And we thought, let's jump out and scare him when he comes. And so here, I, myself and another brother, we're hiding in this hole. And out comes Joel with his group. And we go, ah! And Joel, you could see the fear in him. Like, you could see his body went like this. And he's jumping and he's yelling, right? Fee. We don't like fear. To be honest, we all don't like that kind of fear, right? We don't like fear. 
Of all the words used to describe our relationship and our experience with God in the 21st century, tremble before God, fear God is not usually one of them. Even as I was reflecting my past 42 years of my life, I don't think, I could not remember the last time I prayed that I would fear God or that we would fear God. Instead, we like to say things like, gracious God, merciful God, I love God. God is my friend, he's my refuge, he's my rest, but part of that vocabulary Fear God never seems to make it in. How do we often tremble and fear before the Almighty God? Do we understand what it means to be in the presence, in the presence of the holy, living, almighty, all-powerful God of the universe that we respect we revere in awe and tremble before. Tremble before. What does fearing God even look like? Well, let me show you what it looks like, at least how creation explains what the fear of God looks like in our text. Read with me verse, well, have a look at verse 3 to 6 as I read them out. Verse 3 to 6, this is how creation responds to the fear of God. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. These instances in verse 3 to 6 are what actually happened in the period of Exodus. Now, I'm going to not read exactly from where it comes from, but read it in your own time. Exodus 14, right? The people of Israel on one side are being chased by the Egyptian army. On the other side, they have this massive Red Sea in front of them. And God's presence comes down. And what happens to the Red Sea? It says it flees. It opens up for God and his people to go through it. The sea's response to the fear of God is to flee. The sea feared God. Joshua chapter 3, we see after 40 years of the Egyptian people wandering the desert, they're finally in front of the promised land. The only thing in between them is the Jordan River. And that time of the year, the Jordan River is overflowing. What happens there? As God's presence comes down, as his people move forward, what happens to the Jordan River? It turns back. It retreats, it runs, it sees the presence of God and it goes away. The Jordan River feared God. Exodus 19, what happened when God's presence came down on Mount Sinai? You've got to think about this, right? There's this ginormous mountain this great protrusion of the earth. It just sits there, it's fixed, it's unmovable, but it trembles 
It trembles before God. It says, the mountains skip like rams, the hills like lambs. They become these little wimpy lambs that skip away and run away from the presence of God. The mountains feared God. So what does fearing God look like? Well, for creation, it looks like fleeing. It looks like turning back and retreating. It looks like running away from the almighty, powerful, holy God. That's what creation did. Now, my question for us is, what about you? Should we flee? Should we turn back from the presence of the Lord? When the Bible calls us to fear him, does it mean that we turn and flee and run from God? Because to be honest, that's how we react sometimes to God. We run. We actually turn away from him a lot. But I'm going to say that having that type of fear of God is the wrong fear of God for us. For creation, it's the right reaction. But for us, that's the wrong fear of God. In fact, I would say that's a sinful fear of God. Now, let me biblically give you evidence. Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve. We know Adam and Eve. He ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve, which God had told them not to eat. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, what does it say after they ate? And what, what, what did they say after they ate? and did the wrong thing. It says this, Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. So God's presence is among them, right? In the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. The fear of God caused them to hide. The fear of God caused them to flee. I don't want to be where God is. I'm going to hide. I'm going to run. Sinful fear, wrong fear, drives you away from God. Having the wrong fear of God drives you away from God. And maybe at that moment, you might think that you've done the right thing by running away. But in fact, friends, that's the worst thing we can be doing. Because if you're running away from God, you must be running to something else. Isn't that, right? Isn't that right? Something that perhaps we think is going to be better. Because if running away from God, we're trying to find refuge and safety in something else other than Him. Michael Reeves, in his book, Rejoice and Tremble, he says this, when people through misunderstanding, become simply afraid of God, they will never entrust themselves to him, but must turn elsewhere for their security. In fact, it is when people have this confused fear of God that they turn to other gods. And when we run, we run to other things that we think will satisfy us, other things that we think will give us joy, other things we think that will give us rest, other things we think that will give us security. But friends, we must not. Do you have the wrong fear of God? As you look forward to 2024 this year, have you entrusted your whole self? 
the baggage that you carry, the worries and the anxieties that you might have, have you gone towards God with them in the fear of who he is or where or who will you go to? Sovereign Grace Church, Parramatta, the only safe place from the fear of God is in God. Everywhere outside of his care is dangerous. He is the only hiding place from his own fear. If you see him as frightening and try and run away and hide, you will not, you will definitely not find a place to hide. There is none. Outside of God's care, there is only wrath, but there is refuge from the wrath of God in God. The safest place from the wrath of God, the only safe place is God. We must come to God, take refuge in God, hide in the shadow of His wings. We must cast our anxieties unto Him. This is where we live. This is where we serve. This is where we have joy as we tremble, as we respect and honour and revere him who is to be feared. Now, if that's a wrong fear of God, then my second point, why can we have the right fear of God? If the wrong fear of God is actually running away from him, then obviously the right fear of God is to run to him, right? Now, to clarify, in case I wasn't clear in the first point, we need to fear God, and that fearing God actually means to tremble before Him, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's this, oh, I could just approach Him however I want now. No, we need to fear God. It calls us to tremble, be in awe and respect, right? We need to come to Him like that, but why can we do that? I think verse 2 helps us to understand why we can come to God in fear of him. Read with me. Verse 2 says this, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The first thing the, the psalm states in 114, Psalm 114 is that the people must remember that as they sing this song, first thing, you're his chosen people. He's saying, you are his chosen people. When the psalmist speaks of sanctuary, you know the root meaning of sanctuary? It means devoted to. He set this group apart, and sanctuary means I'm devoted to them. I'm 100% committed, 100% for them. I'm going to guard this people. That's what it means when God says that he is their sanctuary. That's a pretty special position to be in. Not only are they being guarded by God, but it says that they are his dominion. Dominion meaning he rules over them. He reigns over them. That means that nothing in all creation can rule over his people. Only God has the authority to rule and reign over his people. Friends, we can draw near to the fear of God, firstly, because the psalmist tells us, because we're his people. 
Yes, creation fled. Creation, not his people, right? But we are his people. Israel are his people. They can draw near to the fear of God. Jeremiah chapter 32, 38 to 39 strengthens this point, right? This is what God is saying to the people of Israel. He says this, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart, one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. Can you see? Can you see that text? God is saying, these people are my people. These people are my sanctuary. I'm going to be their God. I'm going to have dominion over them. And only after he solidifies the point that these are my people, then he says that I'm going to put the fear of them in their hearts. And you know what? That's good for them. It's a good thing for us to have the fear of God in our hearts. You know, there's a direct correlation, I think, between being his people and having the right fear of God. We can turn to him. You see, friends, we can have the right fear. We can go to him. God's objective isn't that he makes his people afraid of him. It's not. But rather, if you're his people, it's to fear him, but knowing that he's going to guard you. He's going to protect you. He's going to rule and care over you. Here's the second thing I got from reading verse 2. Judah, let's hopefully back up on the screen. It says, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Now, I've got a comprehension question for all of us here. Who is this his in this sentence? Nobody knows. It's a hard comprehension question. His, it's God. If you were embarrassed, but inside your heart you were saying it's God, you are correct. This his is God. But interestingly, interestingly, the psalmist doesn't reveal who this his is in the beginning of the psalm. You know, all the commentaries that I've read picks up this point. It says, notice how the psalmist doesn't reveal who this his is at the very beginning. Because the psalmist could have easily have written that uh, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel God's dominion, but the psalmist chooses not to say that. And it's only at the very end of the psalm that we see who this his is. And I believe there's a reason why. This is what I think it is. Because the psalmist wants to tell us, yes, it's God, but it's the God that we fear. It's the God that we tremble. It's the God that we revere. It's the God that we are in awe of. That's the God that has dominion over his people. That's the God that has made his people his sanctuary. He's on our side. That's really important. It's like, a bit like someone bigger than you, like Riley, you know, 
maybe with his long noodle thing and tries to hit someone else with it, you know. And you see, like, whoa, this guy is big. I'm really scared of him, right? But then you say something like, you know what? I'm going to bring my dad on you, right? And you know, dad, okay, right, bring your dad, whatever, right? But what if I said, I'm going to bring my dad. He's a 12 times world champion MMA, winner by 1,000 knockouts, 2,000 takedowns, 4,000 submissions. That's my dad. You know, there's a different feeling when you say, my dad, and my dad who is X, Y, Z. And I think the psalmist, this is what he's trying to emphasize. He's saying, you know the God that you are, that has sanctuary and dominion over you? He's the God that parted the oceans. He's the God that turned back the, the Jordan River. He's the God that came down in lightning and thunder at Mount Sinai. He's the God, that God that who is to be feared, that God, he's on your side. That God, he's on your side. So we can draw near to that amazing or powerful God to be feared because he's on your side. For many of us sitting here today, we get the most wonderful perspective of what it means to be his chosen people to be his children. Because we all, we all, we all once fled from God. We all went astray. We all turned our own way. We all did that. But in the fullness of time, what did God do? He sent his son to redeem those who were in bondage to sin and death. He sent his son to redeem those who had gone astray. He sent his son to redeem those who were actually liable to see the wrath of God. He redeemed them through his son. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, who died the sinner's death, and he rose victorious. And it's at that cross we receive great pardon from our terrible sin. It's at the cross that we have forgiveness. It's at the cross that actually liberates us. It's the cross that frees us from the fear that drives us away. But more than that, it's at the cross, and because what he has done, we can draw near to him. And because of what Jesus has done, he cultivates within our heart a heart that fears and trembles God, but at the same time brings an adoration, an awe, a joy, a respect, and reverence of God. It's because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, not only are we accepted by God, but we are beloved, we are adopted and adoring children before the Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 15 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of, sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Can you see? We are children. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are part of the chosen. The fear of God becomes a joyful one. It's a joyful one. And if you're here today for the first time, and perhaps what you've been doing all your life has been running away, perhaps you've just been fleeing from him all your life, well, can I say, can I invite you to stop? Can I invite you to turn? God, he calls the weak. God, he calls the brokenhearted. God, he calls sinners like me and you to repent and give your life to him, to follow him, to believe in him. And if that's you today, don't leave without speaking to one of us. We want to walk alongside you in that journey, in the fear of God, in joyful fear of him. And it's not too late. Friends, as we look forward to 2024, how can we face what lies ahead of us? How? We face him. By having the right fear of God as his children. Trembling before him because, you know what? We're overwhelmed. What Jesus did for us, we're overwhelmed by his goodness. We're overwhelmed by his majesty. We're overwhelmed by his holiness. We're overwhelmed by his grace. We're overwhelmed by the righteousness that we have through Christ. That's how we face 2024. Everything outside the fear of God will destroy us. Our anxieties will continue to grow outside the fear of God, but in God, we live, serve, have joy as we tremble in joyful fear of Him. It's my last point. So then if we are to run to God in fear, how do we live that out? What does that even look like? Well, here's one thing I think the psalmist is, the psalmist is trying to tell us. You know, in the beginning of my sermon, I mentioned that Psalm 114 was part of the Egyptian Hallel. They would sing about this. They would sing about the fear of God during the Passover. And so one thing I believe we could do as a church and on our own is to remind ourselves by singing the, about the fear of God, singing praises to God, about God and what he has done. It's to sing, not Taylor Swift songs, but more of singing praises of God to God. Because singing does something amazing, doesn't it? You know when Israel was redeemed after parting the Red Sea? After the sea fled and the fear of God was there, even amongst his people? Do you know what happened in Exodus uh, 15? Moses and the people of Israel, they sang to the Lord. The fear of God was there and their response to that was to sing praises to God. Verse 11, this is what he says. Uh, this is what they sing. They sing, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? That's what fearing God looks like. 
It's not this afraid I'm running, but it's worship. It's praising Him, knowing that who He is, we worship and tremble and praise Him. Psalm 96, verse 1 to 4, this is the last thing I will say. It says this, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared. He is to be trembled before. He is to be in awe of. He is to be in respect, reverence, but leaning in, not away. He is to be feared above all gods because God is great, because God is to be feared. Like the psalmist, may we sing. Sing to the Lord. And as we do, let me tell you, it will stoke our hearts to fear him. It will help us draw near to him, to tremble in exuberant worship and praise of his glorious and fearful name. May 2024, Southern Grace Church, may 2024 be filled with fearing the Lord always. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words are truly wonderful. Thank you for the wonderful reminder, first and foremost, Lord, that we are your children. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, that you have redeemed us, that you have saved us from the pits of sin and death and crowned us with the wonderful righteousness of Christ. And Lord, because of what you've done, we can approach you and call you Abba Father. And so as we come to you, Lord, help us to come to you 2024, this year, to you in fear of you, trembling before you in awe, in respect of who you are, what you have done. And Lord, may the fear of you Bring us joyful adoration, joyful worship, joyful praise of who you are. For you, O Lord, deserve all glory, honor, and praise. For you, O Lord, are great and greatly to be praised. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.